Hall of Fame coaches, national champions, lottery picks, the best minds in basketball. Welcome into the sidelines with Evan Daniels. What's up, college basketball fans? Welcome back to the Sidelines Podcast. I'm your host, Evan Daniels, college basketball insider at FS1, as well as the director of basketball recruiting at 24-7 Sports. Today's episode, I'm going to do a deep dive into what happened at the McDonald's All-American festivities with 24-7 Sports colleague Josh Gershon, who played well, what our thoughts are on this class. We're going to dive into that. And then I'm going to bring in the sporting news is Mike DeCourcy, a, a guy that really knows his college basketball and we're going to take a deep dive into the sweet 16 our thoughts on who's going to move on before i get to those two conversations i want to make sure that you are supporting the sidelines podcast the best way to do that is to go to apple Podcasts and or your favorite podcast app i'm asking you to leave a rating and a review i would love that you would give me five stars that would be much appreciated you can also shoot me a note over on twitter or instagram the handle is at evan daniels would love to know what you think about the podcast now let's jump to those conversations with josh Gershon and Mike DeCourcy. It's time to go man to man with Evan Daniels. Send it in, big fella. Now I want to bring in Josh Gershon to the Sidelines podcast. Josh, what's up, man? Welcome back to the show. We probably uh, probably should have done this when we were together in person in Atlanta, uh, but instead you're, uh, I think, in the Atlanta airport, and uh, I'm back in Nashville. Yeah, instead I'm just going to annoy the 20 people around <laughs> me and the Sky Club already giving me dirty looks, but in full support of your podcast. <laughs> I think they'll, uh, well, uh, I guess they don't have a choice but to, to listen, and maybe they'll get some knowledge out of you. Well, let's start with the McDonald's All-American game. We spent the last couple days there watching practices and then at the game uh, Wednesday night. What was maybe your biggest takeaway from the week at McDonald's? I think the biggest takeaway is probably a confirmation of what we already knew in a lot of ways and that there's a lot of really good college players in, in this class, and there's a lot of guys that, you know, will have roles in the NBA, but from a draft perspective, there's just not a lot of star power at the top, and I think we've been kind of holding out hope that guys would emerge, and, you know, certainly players like Isaiah Stewart had really good weeks to help put them in, in consideration, you know, the, the, one of the top couple of spots in the class, but... I think we were hoping for more guys to do that. It just really didn't happen. Yeah, it didn't. And I think, honestly, the way you put it was, was pretty nicely. I think my takeaway was maybe that probably pretty similar. You know, I, I think I showed up kind of hoping that, you know, there'd be a guy or two that emerged. And I think there was a, a good sleeper, and we're going to get to that here in, a, here in a minute. But the class just leaves me wanting more. Uh, and you and I talked a great deal about this and from a, an NBA standpoint that this class just doesn't have a lot of star power. Like you said, there's a lot of good college prospects. But uh, when I was in the – I guess it was the third day of practice, I had a, a, an NBA executive uh, send me a text message and, and was like, you, you guys can't give all these kids five stars. You gotta. You, you, this class is just not that good. You got to give some of these dudes four stars, and I thought that was kind of eye-opening, and it was pretty clear amongst the NBA executives that um, this is a down year. And honestly, it, it you could make a case that this is the worst class that I've covered in terms of talent at the McDonald's All-American game. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and the game itself isn't always you know completely indicative of that, but. We know we know this class very well. We've, we've scouted this class extensively over the last four years. It just hasn't happened. 
it's certainly possible that these guys will get to college and more players will emerge and take jumps forward. I mean, that that's always the case. But in terms of high-level elite NBA upside, there, there's only just a few guys right now in that upper tier. And and really the, the biggest issue, one of the biggest issues from, from ranking these guys where we're sitting is there's only so much of a difference between the 26th-ranked player in the class and, let's say, the 75th. It's just one of those classes where we're going to look back and, I mean, not that we're going to get any class perfect, but it's going to be really hard to get this one right. Yeah, for sure. I think I'm confused more than ever on who to put one, two, and three. And I, I think that, you know, the options to me uh, are Anthony Edwards, who we ha- currently have number one in the, the, the top 247, uh, and James Wiseman, who's actually number one in the 247 sports composite rankings. And then I think you throw in uh, an Isaiah Stewart and uh, Vernon Carey, who didn't participate in practice or the game, and then maybe a, a Cole Anthony. And, and I, I guess I think I'm probably confused at the top uh, more than ever. And each of those guys, outside of Vernon, because he didn't play, had some bright moments in the week. Uh, Isaiah Stewart was probably the most consistent to me. I, I thought from a, just a pure, most productive, best performer, uh, he was the guy this week. Um, just so tough, hard-playing, physical, athletic. He's going to absolutely destroy the Pac-12. Um, I thought he was the most productive, and that doesn't always mean you're the best prospect, though. No, it doesn't. I, I don't think anyone is arguing that Isaiah Stewart has the highest upside in the 2019 class, but I do think there's a great case made that he has the high four in the 2019 class. He's the safest pick. Um, it, and it's a lot easier for us to, us, us to rank one through five um, than it's going to be for the NBA, who's going to be committing millions and also, you know, the, the general managers about uh, reputations when, when you draft anyone because there, there, is, there is some there is a general expectation that most classes are pretty similar but not every number one pick is the same not every number five pick is the same and I think people are going to be looking you know five six seven in, in this draft a, a year from now with, with this class and you have to ask yourself if you're, if you're going to put your reputation on the line right I know one guy that I think is is a, a really good prospect is Anthony Edwards, and I know you got a, a more extensive look at him this week than, than you had in the past. And this is a kid that's pushing six five. He's got a really nice basketball frame, long arms, sturdy build, uh, good, very good athlete, and, and can really score. And he's really improved over the course of his high school career from a shooting standpoint. And I thought he had some really bright moments uh, throughout the week. He had a, a, maybe a rough Sunday, and then – I thought was pretty good the rest of the week. What what was your takeaway on on Anthony Edwards after getting an extended look? I agree with you, and he definitely had one of the most um, consistent weeks. I I think he pretty much almost every single setting he looked good. Uh, Not not everyone can say that. He he always competed. He always played hard. He doesn't have the experience uh, against this group that some of his peers have because he reclassified from 2020 to 2019. Um, but from both a, a talent perspective and a competitive perspective, he, he was right there at the top. And uh, we obviously have him number one in that class right now. And there's obviously a, a great case to uh, continue to believe in that moving forward. And if, if not number one, he's certainly, you know, in that, in, in that top three, I, I don't 
see how you can draw from much further than that. Yeah, I mean, this is a, a kid that can really create off the bounce and does a great job of just creating space uh, for pull-ups or his ability to get to the rim. And he's so strong and, and can really take take contact on his way to the basket. James Wiseman during practices, I thought, um, was very good. Uh, really rim ran, was, was active. Um, I think getting up and down the floor is, is one of his biggest strengths. He, he During the practices, he, he showed some mid-range jump shots. Those didn't carry over to the game. Um, but I thought he did have some bright moments in the practices. So I, I guess with Wiseman, what stood out to you about his play this week? I think he had a really good week. I, I don't think he necessarily had a great game. Um, but I think that has more to do with Isaiah Stewart just being – you know, so much stronger right. than, than him and the rest of the class. Like, there's there's no one in high school basketball that is putting a body on Isaiah Stewart and um, keeping him out of the class. And I don't know how many people in college basketball are doing that next year either. But, you know, in terms of, of Wiseman, if you, if you take that, which is, you know, he's going to get stronger. It's not really a big concern moving forward. He's, he has good size, you know, long arms, uh, is plus athlete. He, he has shooting ability like good shooting ability for his size it's one of the things you like about him the most um he's relatively skilled uh he has a lot of room to you know get stronger improve his consistency um improve uh, as a rim protector which he has the opportunity to be a really good one um he's not he's he's a very good player he's also a very good prospect um his ceiling is very high he's not there yet but he he has a lot of room to grow into what is a significant ceiling. Yeah, I agree. And then I, I wanted to talk a little bit about Cole Anthony. I actually, in the practices, I didn't think he played up to you know his normal potential. But then in the scrimmage, he played well. And then once the lights were on in the game, um, he played well enough to get the, the MVP. And, and I thought he did a really good job of operating in the pick and roll and, and finding guys and, and showing his vision and creativity with the ball. And I think the thing about Cole, too, is you know he's going to compete and play hard. And he had two steals in the game. He was active on defense. I think he did a really good job in the game, uh, tossed out seven assists, had 14 points on 7 of 11 shooting, grabbed five rebounds. Uh, and I, th- I think you just know that this dude's going to compete when he gets on the floor, when, when the lights are on. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think you know, he, he was just okay to those first couple of days of practice, but that's why you have to evaluate in all settings and not just, you know, come up with too big of, a, of an opinion um, based on, on a couple of practices without taking into context, you know, the entire body of work and, and both the scrimmage of Tuesday and the game on Wednesday, as, as you mentioned, like he, he was really good. Um, he is a competitor. He's really talented. Uh, he has a with his with his size and quickness and, and ball skills, uh, ability to make others around him better. Also, the ability to score at a high level. Uh, those are important qualities for a guard, and certainly a, a guard in today's game. He is looking forward to the NBA. Like he's certainly a guy that is going to have a, a place there, um, even if it's just as a role player. But we both know he has upside to be a lot more than that, too. For sure, for sure. And, and before we move on, there was one other guy I wanted to touch on that I thought was a standout throughout the week, and that was Scotty Lewis uh, going to Florida. This kid competes. 
Uh, he's athletic. He always brings it on the defensive end. I think he's got a chance to be a lockdown perimeter defender. He can guard twos and threes. He's long. He slides his feet well. But this dude just never stops. He's got a motor. I think we would all agree, Josh, that Isaiah Stewart's got the best motor in the class. But Scotty Lewis is not too far behind, and I know you were pretty impressed with him. Yeah, he's he's a big-time defender. I, I can't – when I'm thinking about the top defensive players in the 2019 class, I, I don't know who would even deserve to be in the conversation along with, with Scotty Lewis. He, he's that good as a defender to me. Um, you know, his, his, his size, his length, uh, his lateral quickness, his toughness, um, his, his competitive mental makeup. Um, he always plays hard. He's obsessed with defending. And it's all, it's not like this kid is a minus on offense either. Um, his, his jumper slowly improved. He, he's decent for mid-range. Uh, he's a very good passer, uh, rebounds well for the position. I think there's a whole lot of things to, to like about this kid. For sure, for sure. And I, I wanted to ask you about one kid that, that you maybe thought was a sleeper or, or you left thinking, man, this kid is pretty good. I, I have a feeling I know where you're going to go, and I, I kind of have one. Um, but I'm curious from your standpoint, who, who kind of stood out for you that, that fits that billing? I would say Samuel Williamson, um, the little signing, the, the way he slowly got better throughout the week and by the last two days um, in, in the scrimmage of the game. You can see a lot more of what he brought to the table. Uh, he's, a, he's a two-way player. He, he looks like a very good uh, defender, a versatile defender. can really pass it. Um, you know, seemed comfortable shooting for mid-range, got to the basket, uh, played hard, has a good feel. Like, I think there's a lot of things to like about him. And you, obviously, he's kind of had a breakout year. And you, can, you can see the, the confidence building quickly. For sure. And that, that's who I would have said as well, I think. He's got that size and length. He can score it from mid-range. He's a good athlete. I thought he did a good job in the game. He was pretty efficient, uh, made a couple shots, had a nice slash to the rim. Uh, I thought he had a really good week. And this is a kid that you know we've had as a, a four-star guy, but he, he had a really good senior season. And, and when we redo these final rankings, he's going to be in the five-star range. What number exactly, I couldn't say, but he, I, I think he's earned – um, that type of bump in our rankings. Josh, I appreciate your time, man. Thanks for jumping on the podcast and running through this USA basketball stuff with me. Anytime. Thanks for having me. Now I want to bring in uh, a guy that I've uh, been lucky enough to be friends with over the years. The Sporting News is Mike DeCourcy to the Sidelines podcast. Mike, how you doing, man? I'm doing great, Evan. How are you? I'm awesome. I just got back to Nashville from uh, the McDonald's All-American game. Excited to... Uh, to watch a, a full weekend of uh, of hoops, it should be uh, it should be some some really good games this week. Uh, this weekend, I'm I'm pumped up for them. Yeah, you know the the interesting thing about the tournament is that when you have a lot of upsets early, it, it's exciting and it's cool and it's thrilling and all of that. But then you get to the Sweet 16 and you're like, eh, you know, maybe it's <laughs> not as exciting as it might be. But we don't have that problem this year. We have all the ones, twos, and threes, and I think one double-digit seed, and that team is not a uh, fluky kind of deal, but more one that wandered a little bit, got its act together, and clearly has final four-level players if they're, they apply themselves right. And so, it, that, and of course, I'm speaking about Oregon. 
And so I think we have a very exciting group of games coming up over the next couple of days. Yeah, I'm 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 pumped up for this. I'm here for I'm here for the best teams to play against the best teams. That's uh, I'm pumped up about that. Like I, I've been looking forward to to some of these these matchups, and I, I kind of want to walk through um, these Sweet 16 games and kind of get your overall thoughts. And and we'll start with with Duke Virginia Tech, uh, which is a game that I think is going to be terrific. Uh, Tech's got Justin Robinson back. Uh, and Nikhil Alexander-Walker is is such a talented player. They've got Kerry Blackshear inside. And then there's Duke, who nearly lost to, to Central Florida. Um, they, you know, they had this defensive scheme that really seemed to mess with Duke. What uh, What's your take on, on this game, Mike? Well, I think it's interesting that uh, a year ago, I mean, excuse me, uh, a couple of months ago, or six weeks ago, whatever it was, when they played, uh, we all noticed that Zion was missing and the less attention was paid to the fact Justin Robson was abs- absent for Virginia Tech. And that changed the way Virginia Tech had to align itself, particularly on offense. I don't think it really affected what they wanted to do on defense, but it took away one of their key players, uh, a guy who would ordinarily be out there for 35, 30, 30 35 minutes. And so it, it does change them. And they were able to win at home, and they played great down the stretch, and Duke did not execute. I, I, I'm, I'll be curious, fascinated to see whether or not Buzz Williams and the scheme they play uh, and the ability they have to jam the lane with guys like Blackshear, uh, will it be enough to hold down Zion's influence on the game? And you think back to that UCF game and, what, and how much impact taco fall had on everything that happened when he was on the floor and even at that and honestly i mean i was sitting right there and i never in my life thought that i could see a game in which in which zion williamson didn't you didn't feel his presence and like there was no darth vader going on (laughs) and yet he scored 32 points yeah it's crazy so that's that you know of course the key is that he scored 32 points and and ucf played high level offense way above their standard Aubrey Dawkins played the game of his life. I mean, that's going to be the one that he has on loop uh, in the background at dinner parties. You know, hey, you know, I did that, <laughs> even though they didn't win. And he'll stop it, like, with the final five seconds so that people don't see him miss the tip by a smidge. Yeah. Uh, you, you have to be at your top on offense to beat them because – they are really a great defensive team. I don't think enough attention gets paid to that. No, I think you're right. I, one thing is I've seen on Twitter a lot and, and people bring it up, well, you know, these other teams, talking about how these other teams may use a similar strategy that UCF did from a defensive standpoint. But here's the thing. Not everyone has, actually no one has, a, a seven foot six guy to, to clog up the paint the way Taco Fall could. Now, I'm curious to see if, if they'll, teams will play more off Trey Jones like they did. Uh, down the stretch, uh, but I, I guess you know that's something that I, I, I'm looking forward to seeing. I I, I think that um, that was probably a little bit of a wake up call for Duke, and I, I'm curious to see how they come out against Virginia Tech. But I, I actually think that's going to be a, a really good basketball game. I, I'm going to take Duke in that one, but I think it's going to be a great game. Yeah, you know it's interesting that you say that about playing off Trey. And remember, what they did was they they uh, used Taco on him. Taco would hang back in the middle of the lane so yep. that he would be available to mess everybody else up. And what people didn't really realize is that when Taco was in the middle of the lane and Trey would have the ball outside the three-point line, I mean, he took one step, raised his arm, and it was a great closeout. He did, that's all he had to do. I mean, it, I've never seen anything quite like it. And 
Uh, you know, I, I don't know if I'd seen – I mean, I've seen UCF quite a few times. I don't think I'd seen him use that way against anybody, and it worked beautifully. And you can do that against Trey, and maybe Sunday. The one thing that you might be able to say that teams can try at least early is to hope that that will carry over for him. You know, he went one of eight, and so he's going to get dared to shoot. And if he misses some early, maybe one of eight becomes one of 10, one of 11, and now he's thinking about it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think when at that point it becomes mental too. When a, when a team is their strategy is is that, and, and it, I mean it's honestly kind of disrespectful, but it was a genius strategy by uh, Johnny Dawkins and, and and his staff. Let, let's move to that LSU Michigan State game, also in Washington D.C. Michigan State's been tremendous down the stretch. They've got arguably the best point guard in the nation, and Cassius Winston against a team that's made it to the Sweet 16 without their basketball coach. And I've said this on this podcast before. If they had Will Wade, I I think it's a team that I could have very well picked to to go to the Final Four. I think they're that talented. Uh, I think this is an interesting game. They really are talented. And I thought, honestly, out of the 16, I think they were the only ones I didn't have on my bracket going to the Final Four. Uh, Excuse me, going to the Sweet 16. I, I uh, I think I had 15 out of the 16. And I know I picked Maryland to beat them, and largely on the fact that the way they played in their SEC tournament, uh, they looked distracted, and I thought that might carry over. And instead, they were one of the most focused teams. And one of my favorite moments of this college basketball season is going to be when they rebounded after Maryland, or they inbounded. I don't remember exactly how the score came to be tied when they gained possession with about 55 seconds, whether it was a rebound that was already tied or whether Maryland scored a tie. I can't remember that. But they get the ball, and Skyler Mays and Tremont Waters are in the backcourt bringing up the ball off the court, and they're saying to each other, two for one. Uh, and I'm like, you know, they're, they're, here you have a 75% minimum of the college basketball coaches don't think their players can handle that concept, and yet you have two players on the floor calling it themselves, and it won the game. Skyler and they got a quick three a good open look it was deep but a good open look and he made it and so they got up three Maryland comes back they get three and they tie it but now Maryland, but now LSU has the ball at the end and they're able to execute the the, the play against the zone uh, that got Tremont isolated on Justin Smith and he wasn't quite he didn't react quickly enough to cut off the drive and Bruno, Bruno Fernando held on to his guy too long and Tremont scores a layup and over two guys who can sh- block shots. That was tremendous. And so I don't know how long they can keep up this thing where, uh, where they're dealing you know, with, a, with a substitute teacher, so to speak. I mean, uh, Tony's, Tony's a good basketball coach. He's been at it for a long time. I've known him forever. Uh, but uh, yeah, it, it's, it's harder when the games get deeper. I mean, if, if, if Tony's going to make the Final Four in this circumstance, he's probably going to ha- he's definitely going to have to take out Tom Izzo. And he's probably going to have to take out Mike Krzyzewski, too. This two Hall of Fame guy. <laughs> it's a tough task, right? And he's coaching right? <laughs> his fourth game against the, in, 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 at LSU. Yeah, it's it's uh, that's crazy to think about. I'm going to take Michigan State in this game, but man, it is it's just hard to uh, go against that talent at LSU. And Michigan State's a team that that really has been through a lot this year with injuries, and I think it's. Tom Izzo's had some tremendous coaching jobs in his career. Uh, this has got to be up there just based on who they've lost, losing Josh Langford early in the year, lost Nick Ward for a while. Uh, Arns has been down. It's, it's, it's been 
fun to watch this team kind of develop and Matthew McQuaid develop as a player, a shot maker, but also defending his position. And, and the way Cassius Winston can control an offense and create opportunities for himself and others has been fun to watch. So I'm going to take Michigan State in this one, uh, but I, I think it's uh, I think it's going to be a pretty good game. Mike, let's slide to the West. Um, games in Anaheim. Got Gonzaga and Florida State in the 1-4, and then Michigan-Texas Tech in the 2-3. Now, I picked Texas Tech initially in my final four. Um, I'm curious who you think is going to come out of this region. Well, I had Michigan in the initial uh, thing, and, and I still think they can make it. Obviously, uh, they're going to have to go through a very difficult pair of games uh, to get there. Uh, I, I like Michigan's defense. I like Texas Tech's defense. I think they're both terrific. I think the difference between the two teams may come down to the fact that Michigan has more guys who can go, mm-hmm. who can who can get you 20-plus. Uh, Texas Tech, a couple of guys, and obviously Culver being the most obvious. Michigan's advantage is that, uh, for instance, on Saturday, they had, they had uh, uh, Iggy Brasdakis, who's been their leading scorer over the last month or so, and I think he's the leading scorer for the year, uh, did not play well at all against Florida. Bad matchup, bad day, whatever it was, he couldn't make a bucket. And it didn't matter because Jordan Poole was lighting it up that day. And it always seems like somebody is able to have a day when they need it. And they get pretty consistent contributions at center uh, and at point guard uh, in terms of the offense. And then the three perimeter guys, Matthews, Brasdakis, and Poole, as well as Livers coming off the bench, those guys find a way to get the, the bulk of the offense done. And you don't ever know which one it's going to be. So that makes it harder for the opposing team to say, okay, we take out this guy, we're in good shape. You can't really do that with Michigan. If, if you take out this guy, the other guy's more than likely going to get to fill the gap. That's the way they've been most of the year. And the difference in a lot of their losses, most notably the three against Michigan State, is that Cassius Winston took over all three games. It right. really came down to that. Uh, and I, I don't think Texas Tech has that guy. Uh, so that's why I had Michigan State, excuse me, Michigan moving on uh, out of the West. Yeah, no, that, I mean, that makes sense. You mentioned the, the defense. I think, you know, these are arguably the, the two best defensive teams in the country when you look at it from a numbers standpoint. With Texas Tech uh, via Ken Palm, they're number one in adjusted defensive efficiency. They're number two uh, in defensive effective field goal percentage, 10 in turnover percentage. Uh, they hold teams to 30% from three. Uh, they're number two in the nation in, in uh, two-point field goal percentage defense. I mean, it's ridiculous. And then Michigan numbers are, are – they're number two in adjusted defensive efficiency, six in effective field goal percentage. They hold teams to 29% from the three-point line. That's absurd, Mike. That's that's ridiculous. So this is going to be a, a, a defensive affair. But I, I think you're, what you said, it makes a lot of sense in terms of Michigan having some guys that can, that can go a little more. Um, than, than Texas Tech. So uh, let, let's slide to the south in Louisville. I know you're there covering that deal. Virginia is the one seed. They're going to take on Oregon, uh, the 12 seed. And, and you mentioned it a second ago. They're uh, Oregon, while they, you know, they're a, a double-digit seed, they're, they're a team that's really playing well right now. I thought they would win one game. I, I think uh, this Sweet 16 run is something in, you know, a couple weeks ago that probably not many people thought would happen. But they're playing really well right now. And then at the bottom of that bracket, Purdue is a three seed and, and taking on Tennessee. Who, who do you see coming out of the South, Mike? Well, I had Virginia coming out because their MO this year has been to take care of teams that are like these. Uh, usually not quite as productive 
and effective as Purdue and Tennessee. Uh, but teams that that aren't overwhelmingly talented, they got them. I mean, they, that are you know that are really good teams, but aren't throwing lottery picks at you. Is basically what I'm saying. And that that's not who you know. Michigan really, if you look at it, Virginia is that team. I mean, if, if anybody here is, it's them because they've got DeAndre Hunter. There's no other DeAndre Hunter here. Right. They're terrific players. Grant Williams is a first team All American, deservedly so. Uh, if there were no Zion Williamson, he'd be National Player of the Year. He's been phenomenal. And uh, Admiral Schofield's an all-league first-team player. Carson Edwards is uh, one of the leading scorers in the country. Uh, and, and those guys can all do it. But uh, they, don't, you know, they don't have the kinds of you know, just unstoppable forces that usually make the difference in NCAA tournament games that get to this level. And that's you know that's that's what I think that it, you know in a lot of ways Virginia in, in Hunter has a guy who's just so physically gifted that you're going to have a hard time stopping him, surrounded by a lot of really good players, including Kyle Guy, who's I think has had an uh, All America level year, not a first team, but second, third, somewhere in there. Uh, and then you know Ty Jerome, who's you know a lot of people consider their most valuable player. So they've got the guys for a change in this region. And in the past, you know, I mean, last year being an exception, in the past it's usually been that the other team had more talent, just didn't have as good a year as them. Uh, so I, I think that that's what, you know, what makes the difference here in, in Louisville is that they have, they, they're going to have to play two great games to get out of it. And with what we talked about before with the depth of the Sweet 16, no one's getting out of this without playing two great games. Of course. But uh, I think Virginia has the stuff this time to do it. Never bought into the idea that their style was the problem. Just, just you know, it, it, if you look back to 2016, if the style was a problem, why were they up double digits with eight minutes to go against Syracuse? The style wasn't the problem. They just didn't finish. Right. No, I, I'm with you. And I, I think the thing about this team is I don't think it's the same team that we saw in the tournament last year. Obviously, DeAndre Hunter's back. They're older. And both sides of the ball, they're so impressive. You know, number two in the country in offense, three in defense. They shoot it at a 40% clip from the three-point line. And everything you just said about DeAndre Hunter is spot on. He's a future top ten pick. He's got all the physical gifts. He can really guard. And then he can make shots off the catch. And you've got two other guys and Kyle Guy and Ty Jerome that can really, really make shots. Kyle Guy's hit nearly 110 threes this season. That's absurd. I think, Mike, that's a, a really good call. I, I, I think that they're going to come out of this region. Now, don't get me wrong, I think Tennessee's a pretty good basketball team and, and Purdue's a pretty good basketball team. And who knows, Carson Edwards could go off again and, and, and we could see them going to the right. Final Four. But uh, I, I, like, uh, I like Virginia too, and, and I actually picked them in my, my initial – um, bracket to, to, to make it to Minneapolis. Let's slide to the Midwest. We've got North Carolina and Auburn, which is going to be a fast-paced game, and, and then Houston in uh, Kentucky, which probably would be pretty similar, and, and maybe the, the biggest mystery uh, of that region is, is P.J. Washington going to play or not going to play? I, I think with P.J. Washington, Kentucky is a national championship caliber team. They've continued to progress and continue to get better, and I think John Calipari has done a great job of building that team, especially with the way they started. Um, but there's some other good teams in this region. A Kentucky-North Carolina Elite Eight could be a lot of fun. Um, but at the end of the day, like I think it, you know, is P.J. Washington going to play or not? I think that's a, a pretty important deal. Yeah, and also how effective he is if he is uh, on right. the floor. Uh, is he – 70% PJ, 80% PJ, is he 
February, PJ, because if he's that guy mm-hmm. uh, who I thought he was going to be when the tournament began and I picked them to make the Final Four, I think they're the best team out there. And Carolina is terrific. Uh, I, 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 that, that's not to diminish them uh, because I think that both they and Kentucky are outstanding. But I, I think with a whole healthy team, Kentucky is better defensively and in the ballpark offensively. It's, not, it's a closer fight with their off their two offenses versus and again not diminishing Carolina's defense I just think that Kentucky's is you know is a is a few steps better and and that's to me what the difference was going to be and PJ's a part of that as well he's a very good defender as we saw in Louisville when he shut down Jordan Wara uh, he did a great job in that game and then offensively we've seen him dominate in a lot of circumstances uh, in in key games and so. I thought that they were going to be that team. And now, you know, the team that beat Wofford did a great job and I think can survive a game against Houston. I'm not guaranteeing they'd survive, but I think they can without P.J. But I just don't see how without P.J. being close to at least the guy who was playing in December and and doing a job at one end of the floor and and contributing some at the offensive end, uh, if he's not at least that guy, I just don't know how they get enough done to beat a team that has as many weapons as the Tar Heels. No, I completely agree. And I, I think, uh, speaking of progress, I think Roy Williams has done a tremendous job with this basketball team. I've said it on this podcast before. I admittedly wasn't a big fan of that team earlier in the season. I think they've progressively gotten better. Kobe White's progressively gotten better. Uh, and this basketball team, I think, is hitting on uh, pretty much all cylinders at, at just the right time. So is Auburn. Um, but I, I think um, – I think that the injury to P.J. and what you said is if he plays, is he going to be effective? Uh, we'll factor in a lot in this region because I could see uh, any number of these teams coming out of there. Um, so it's it's going to be fun to watch. M- Mike, last question before I let you go. we got 16 teams left. If you had to handicap this now, uh, who would be the two teams you, you would see or you would guess uh, will be playing for the national championship on a- April 8th? Yeah, I, I – my original bracket was Duke against Kentucky, and I, I felt like you know that, that that had a great chance of happening because I thought that they uh, had all the components you need to be a championship level team it, without uh, knowing what's going to happen with PJ Washington, whether he's available or effective. It really makes it a lot more difficult, and probably the easiest pick is to basically go with Carolina uh, because I think Carolina the first time they played Virginia and I did have Virginia coming out of the South. I think the first time they played, they had that game, Carolina did, and then they got kind of lazy or impatient or whatever, and they they were ahead, and and they started to take quick shots. And I think they might have learned from that. I don't think they do that this time. I think they're better offensively than they were then because Kobe White was still learning, uh, still growing as a point guard. He's not all the way there yet. I mean, he's not – you know, he's not Phil Ford yet, but he's made a lot of progress. <laughs> and, of course, you know, we're talking about P.J., and Nasir Little's been ill. Now, I'm a little bit less concerned about an, uh, an illness mm-hmm. uh, than I am about, an, uh, you know, a foot injury because of course. you can get all – you know, I, 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 on New Year's Day, I was supposed to go to the Pacers with my wife, and we had great seats, and, then I, and I went down for the count that day. Uh, next day, I was in a car on my way to Notre Dame, two-and-a-half-hour drive to cover hockey, so – it can be done. So, so we can see Nasir Little bounce back, but it's harder with your foot bothering you. 
No question. No question. Well, uh, I'm looking forward to, to seeing how this all progresses and develops. And you know, I actually had the same national championship game uh, before the tournament. I had Duke versus Kentucky, and uh, I thought the season was going to end how it started uh, in a much tighter game than, than how it started, and I had picked Duke to win it all. Uh, but it should be a fun fun week of hoops, and um, I'm excited to see the action. Mike, I appreciate you taking out the time and, and jumping on the podcast, man. Thank you. Evan, you're the best. Anytime, anything for you. Really appreciate you guys listening to the Sidelines podcast and would love it if you continue to support the podcast. And the best way that you can do that is to go to Apple Podcasts and or your favorite podcast app and leave a five-star rating, leave a review. Also, would love to know what you think about the podcast. You can shoot me a direct note over on Twitter or Instagram. That handle is at Evan Daniels. As always, thanks for listening and have a great week.